Welcome to 340B Insight from 340B Health. Hello from Washington, D.C., and welcome back to 340B Insight, the podcast about the 340B drug pricing program. I'm David Glendinning with 340B Health. We're happy to be back after the holiday break, and we hope you and your loved ones had a safe, pleasant Independence Day. This episode is sponsored by Macrohelix, who is a leader in 340B. Whether implementing a new program, establishing a contract pharmacy network, or simply optimizing your existing 340B procedures, you need a collaborative partner who understands your needs and uncomplicates the complicated. You need Macrohelix, because together we got this. Our guest today is Chuck Beams, Executive Director of Pharmacy Services, Business Development, and Government Relations at East Alabama Medical Center. He has some very compelling stories to share with us about the benefits 340B brings his rural community, both in times of crisis and during more ordinary times. But before we go to that interview, let's take a minute for a roundup of 340B news. It has been nearly eight months since a federal appeals court heard oral arguments in a lawsuit challenging the deep cuts in Medicare Part B payments to many 340B hospitals that have been in effect since 2018. You may recall that a lower court ruled that the pay cuts were unlawful, but the government appealed those rulings. As we record this episode, we are still waiting for word on the appeal, and court watchers tell us a decision is expected any day now. The outcome would have major implications, not just for payment levels from the past two and a half years, but also for the amounts that 340B hospitals can expect Medicare to pay starting next calendar year. When the court issues its decision, we will bring you up to speed as soon as we can. In the meantime, please check out our newest 340B research, which looks at cancer care for patients in vulnerable populations. A review of Medicare claims from 2018 demonstrates that 340B disproportionate share hospitals see a much higher percentage of patients who are living with low incomes, who are disabled, or who are Black or African American. This adds to a growing body of evidence that the 340B program helps participating hospitals provide needed care to populations of patients who typically have been underserved in the U.S. healthcare system. That is just as Congress intended. You can find a link to this issue brief and additional information about the pending Medicare Cuts lawsuit in the show notes for this episode. Today's feature interview is with Chuck Beams. We spoke with Chuck earlier this year, before the COVID-19 pandemic swept through the U.S. and dominated the attention of healthcare providers. But East Alabama Medical Center is no stranger to emergencies, as you will soon hear. Our own Miles Goldman sat down with Chuck. Here's what he had to say. Hello, I'm Miles Goldman, Communications Manager at 340B Health. Today, our guest is Chuck Beams, the Executive Director of Pharmacy and Business Development at East Alabama Medical Center in Opelika, Alabama. Chuck received a Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy from Auburn University and earned his MBA from Auburn University Montgomery in 2018. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess he's an Auburn Tigers fan then. War Eagle. <laughs> Chuck has been at East Alabama Medical Center for 13 years and has focused on improving technology-based solutions in the inpatient pharmacy setting. He also serves on the Alabama Hospital Association's Telehealth Task Force 
and is active in his local community, including as a member of the Opelika City Schools Board of Education and Chamber of Commerce. Chuck's also the president-elect of the Alabama Society of Health System Pharmacists. With all that going on, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Chuck. Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's just begin by talking about what your role at East Alabama Medical Center is. Well, it's it's uh, an interesting role, and it's a role that I uh, do enjoy. Of course, I love pharmacy. That's kind of been my life for many, many years. I would try to add that up, but it would make me feel old, so I won't do that. <laughs> More than 20 years. I, uh, I do oversee the pharmacy operations. I have two uh, great teams uh, there in the pharmacy services uh, area. We have a team that runs our inpatient services. Uh, uh, we have two uh, hospitals there in East Central Alabama. And then we have a team that runs our ambulatory pharmacy uh, services. So we have three retail open to public pharmacies. We have one of the only uh, 24-hour pharmacies in the area. I think it's one of two between Atlanta and Mobile. So I don't know if you'd call that an overnight pharmacy desert, but uh, not much going on there after hours. But we have that. Uh, we have a just a couple of weeks ago, newly URAC accredited specialty pharmacy there in Opelika. So oversee that and uh, got a great team. Like I said, they do a wonderful job and any success you see in me is because of them. I also oversee and uh, handle the government relations for the for the hospital. Uh, that's a, an area that I really am kind of uh, learning and I do enjoy it. It really kind of was born out of the 340B advocacy work that I've done with 340B Health over the years. And Tell us a little bit more about the size of your hospital. You know, we're a, a regional medical center there in East Central Alabama. We serve about 11 counties there. Uh, you know, there's 67 counties in Alabama. We serve about 11 there. It's a population of probably somewhere between four and five, uh, four and 500,000. Really, our primary secondary service areas probably encompass maybe, you know, we really start, we look at it at, on a zip code level, somewhere between, you know, 50 and 80 zip codes there in East Central Alabama and in West Central Georgia. The Auburn Opelika uh, Metropolitan Service Areas the second or one of the, actually the fastest growing MSAs in the South in that, you know, 100,000 uh, population range. So it's a it's a very prosperous area. Of course, we've got the university there, Auburn University is, you know, with probably about seven miles from the hospital, main hospital. You see a lot of uh, very affluent folks and very well-educated folks. And then, you know, when you venture, you know, 15, 20 miles outside of the hospital, it becomes uh, very rural and uh, very underserved. And so, we see folks who have great access, and then we see folks that have horrible access. And so we're kind of there in the kind of caught in the balance, you know, kind of, as, you, as we all say, the safety net for those that, that don't have good access. And I know in your community, it's, it's, there's also been, some, unfortunately, some tragedy there. In March 2019, your community was hit by a tornado that sadly killed 23 people. So it would be just interesting to hear about the role East Alabama Medical Center played in the response. Yeah, you know, the hospital's role was just amazing. Um, I've been there since 2007, and uh, I've been in healthcare for, like I said, more than 20 years and grew up in Tuscaloosa, and there's they've had their fair share of, of, of uh, disasters, uh, specifically tornado-related, I think back in 2011. But... So March 3rd, uh, the area south of uh, the hospital there, the Beauregard area, uh, took a direct hit, and we lost 23 citizens there. Actually, one of those was 
one of our nurses, she worked in our uh, endoscopy area. And so it, it really did, uh, it really did touch us pretty, the impact was huge. But yeah, so that day, vividly remember that day, it was a Sunday, sitting at home after church. And we, you know, we knew the weather was going to be bad that day, but we had no idea it was going to turn like it did. And uh, I started getting texts shortly after uh, lunch and, and uh, we were all being called back to the hospital. And so the next, you know, four or five hours was really just a blur. But then there are parts of it that I vividly remember. Uh, you know, we had the community was just pouring into the hospital. Many of the victims that were hit by the storm, many of them were thrown from their homes. And so people would find them in, away from the home and they would be, you know, transported by car to the hospital through a private vehicle. And so many, many people were disrupted from their family. They didn't, you know, people didn't know where their loved ones were. They were looking for children. They were looking for, you know, wives and husbands. So they are all coming to the hospital. And as I sat there and kind of, you know, watched the situation, you know, as we go through things like that, we're, we're trying to get through the situation and the event, but we're also trying to learn things for the next time. And we're taking notes and trying to assess things. It really hit me how the hospital is way more than healthcare. It was the thing that was kind of holding the community together at that moment. People were bringing in food and water, and you know, within of course of four or five hours, we tr we treated you know seventy, I think seventy or so victims. One family that really that really kind of drove it home for me is I think about what we do for you know as we stretch that scarce healthcare dollar. I had a family that their house was completely destroyed by the tornado. The husband came in with really a very uh, catastrophic leg injury. We kept him for about a week. And his wife ended up going uh, through air transport to Birmingham. She had some very severe injuries they thought were head-related head injuries. And then their, their child was transported by, by air transport to Children's Hospital in Birmingham. And she, so they both were there for about a week. The, the husband was a machinist. He worked 40 hours a week and had a, had a very good job and was, uh, you know, a, a tradesman there working for a small company uh, there in that area. But he didn't have insurance. And, uh, you know, the company didn't, didn't have 25 employees, didn't, wasn't uh, something that was offered. And it also was something that he just really couldn't, couldn't afford. And so, you know, this kind of goes into the whole Medicaid expansion issue for us in the state. We're not an expansion state. And so, but it also is a picture of, of the uninsured. And so, you know, here's a, here's a family whose the husband works and uh, the mother and the father did not have insurance. Uh, we wrote off several, you know, thousands of dollars through the state. We did not send them a bill. Child, had, you know, did have Medicaid through Alabama, and so had had coverage, but the but the mother and father did not. And you know, as I thought about, you know, our our place in this, they received world class care. You know, the hospital was there holding the holding the bag on it. It was uh, definitely a picture of the safety net, and it definitely was a picture of, you know, when you think about uncompensated care and and charity care, those are the things that a lot of times you you don't think about, you know. Well, I'm glad to hear the recovery, though, has been has been moving forward. As we've been discussing, you're a you're a rural hospital. And, you know, broadening this out a little bit, rural hospitals have have been having challenges. We know in the last decade, more than 120 rural hospitals have closed across the country. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges rural hospitals are facing? 
Well, yeah, that's a definitely a thing. You know, we've lost I think a thirteen hospitals in in Alabama in the last in that same time frame. We lost the last one in uh, Georgiana, a uh, little area there in in Alabama. You know, a lot of the hospitals around us, we're we're blessed to be in a good spot, and you know, we're we're making it. We're definitely not seeing uh, the uh, double digit profit margins of some of the drug companies out there, but we're. You know we're living on uh, you know thin you know two percent margins and that's that's good. Eighty five percent of the hospitals in Alabama that serve rural communities are operating in the red. There's a lot of other hospitals you know as you look across Alabama that are struggling. And you know when you think about when you couple the constant uh, noise uh, to change the 340B program and to shrink the you know the patient definition or, or whatever it is, whatever the topic of the day is, and then you couple that with some a place like Alabama that's you know, not an expansion state. We, we did not expand Medicaid and then add again, you know, the idea of, you know, Medicaid dish cuts. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really kind of unfathomable to think about the, all the things that are, you know, constantly being talked about being removed from, you know, the, the game for, for us. And so we're just trying to survive and we're just trying to deliver good health care to, you know, the citizens of the, of the area. And that's one of the things we're doing as we as we're looking at kind of what are some things that we need to be looking at in the next you know two to five years is the idea you know that the healthcare probably is going to be more regionalized and you know do we really need to have a hospital in these little small towns what if that's so if we don't need a hospital there what do we need we need some type of you know emergency uh, department that we can do intake and then try and you know transfer patients back to you know a higher level of care if they need to come to it but. You know, one of the biggest challenges for us is, is is also primary care, you know, just getting basic primary care. And so a lot of times that primary care is unfortunately tied to that to that hospital that's struggling through some type of emergency room or, or whatever. When they fall off, when we lose another one, that's just another uh, spot where, you know, the you, you start seeing almost like deserts, you know, for care, for pharmacy services, for, you know, primary care, you know, whatever it might be. A lot of folks want us to tell, you know, what exactly are you using your 340 savings for? Well, we use it for a lot of things. How would you argue that that's not stretching the scarce healthcare dollar? How would you argue that that's not improving, you know, the situation for those folks in those areas? And you just alluded to, to some different ways that you use savings. Can you share some of those? Yeah, I mean, you know, we do we do some really just interesting things. We've got pharmacists that we've, uh, you know, we've put in our ER, for example, and, and they're they're working, and uh, you know they've we've we've been tracking their savings for the last couple of years, and you know it's amazing the the things that we've saved through you know we we in the summer this is just one example in the summer we have a lot of uh, unfortunately have a lot of snake bikes in Alabama. These pharmacists in the ER have been just pivotal in in helping our physicians kind of work through the decision tree on whether or not to give you know, these expensive antivenom products. And uh, we, we've saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, just by uh, that pharmacist being there and, and helping these guys make, uh, you know, make good decisions on that. They help with med histories. We've got pharmacists that uh, we've got on our floors doing uh, transitions of care work. You know, that, that, that transition from discharge to home is, is, is one that's tough. And, um, you know, we've got pharmacists that we've deployed uh, to look at those discharge med, you know, med summaries and really making sure that, you know, this pneumonia patient who needs to be on Leviquin when they go home is truly actually on Leviquin when they go home. And so 
we've got pharmacists embedded in some of our practices. You know, we've, we're in the process right now working on a partnership with the uh, city of Opelika, which is where our main, main campus is. We're actually doing a mobile bus, uh, going to do a, have a mobile health clinic that's going to basically treat the, you know, folks with social determinants of health through, you know, whether it's transportation or access or whatever, we're going to take that bus and we're going to staff it, you know, and we're not going to charge anyone. So, I mean, you know, it's going to be funds that we would, you know, that we would not have if we weren't participating uh, in 340B. We do a lot of meds to beds work and through through one of our retail pharmacies, you know, as as patients uh, prepare for discharge. And that's a big deal because as we look at the readmissions that come back to the hospital, you know, you see patients that we that we treat for, you know, congestive heart failure, they go home on just some simple meds, you know, diuretics and some other things, and they come back in a week and it's they didn't get their meds because they, you know, were too embarrassed to say that they couldn't afford it. So we, we use those pharmacists in those, in those uh, situations to really kind of ask the key questions and really you know, try to identify patients that, that need help. And, uh, again, it, it's a great example of, you know, using these funds to stretch that to stretch, you know, and, uh, and, and for us, you know, we definitely working with Auburn University right now, trying to, to do a study about our meds to beds program and show that we know what it's going to show. We know it's going to show that when we intervene and help the patients, they're less likely to come back. We do a lot of great things with, with our savings. So. And that's great to hear, especially the, the readmission rate, since, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of, uh, conversations in the healthcare community about, you know, driving those those down sure yeah is there in over the years as as you've been working in 340b and working at uh at east alabama medical center is there a particular patient story that that comes to mind that really drives all this home there was a gentleman from auburn and it's been i guess a couple years ago he unfortunately is uh has passed on and is no longer with us but uh he was a patient that we treated that somehow through some conversations with some of the nurse navigators, they they let him know that we were, uh, you know, the treatment, he didn't have the money for his, uh, for his uh, therapy and, uh, you know, didn't have insurance. And we were kind of faced with a situation. It was like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to, we do what we always do. We treat patients. And so we let him know that, you know, we, we participate in this program that, uh, that's going to basically allow him to get these, the meds that he needs. And, uh, he was, uh, you know, overwhelmed with, uh, to us, it was just an old thing. We do this all day long, every day. We just treat patients. It's amazing what we spend, you know, every day. So many times we're like, hey, let's let's send this patient home. Let's, you know, and many times they, you know, don't have insurance or, you know, they're not, they have, they're, they're underinsured or under, uh, underinsured or uninsured. And so we'll use the 340B savings and, and uh, you know, send them home on some you know vancomycin therapy for another week or so, and and it gets them out of the hospital. It gets them back home. They're able to you know receive the treatment in their home. And I really think that's the that is the incredible part is that they they don't necessarily realize what's behind the scenes, and yet it's making such a big impact. And and that's why I know that's one of the reasons I believe you became involved in in advocating for 340B is to make sure. These stories were shared with with policymakers, uh, you know, at the state level and in D.C. Right? Sure. Yeah. We, when we go to the Hill, we try to take a you know a personal story, and most of the delegation in Alabama they understand. Uh, you know, they 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 get it. They they realize that the 340B program is really the thing that's keeping a lot of the hospitals, especially those ones in rural areas that are so brittle and you know on the edge. Taking 340B away would be 
would be catastrophic. When you start talking about the delegates, the constituents that live in the area where he or she's serving, it really begins to kind of make sense for them. So, you know, I've, I've never really had anybody, at least from the delegation in Alabama, really, you know, push back uh, per se. And, you know, I think it's important, though, to talk about, we've talked about so much the importance of 340B. Are there challenges uh, that just you've seen over time as you do the day-to-day work of implementing 340B? Yeah, you know, we spend a lot of, lot of money and uh, through, through software systems and through actual employees. Uh, you know, we've got a compliance manager that does nothing but oversees 340B in our, in our buying. And then we actually have another full-time auditor that, and all he does is audit our contract pharmacy claims and and because uh, we're committed to having a you know a top-notch program and uh you know that's something that that we all you know share you know we all have that view yeah. well chuck it's been great to speak with you today about the the strong connection between rural hospitals and the 340b program and uh, thank you so much for your time all right thank you our thanks again to chuck beams for taking the time to share his hospital story We hope he gets the chance to watch his beloved Auburn Tigers play again soon. In our next episode of our podcast, we will be coming to you from our booth in the exhibit hall at the 340B Coalition Virtual Summer Conference, which starts July 20th. Don't miss your last chance to register for this informative event, which will feature important program updates from federal officials, operations and compliance experts, and your 340B covered entity peers. Sessions will include new information about regulatory changes during the COVID-19 pandemic, new processes hospitals will need to follow for their next recertification, and much more. Most sessions will be available both live and on demand, with significant opportunities for obtaining continuing education credits. You can learn more about the 340B Coalition Virtual Summer Conference at 340bsummerconference.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 340B Insight, please send your questions and ideas to podcast at 340bhealth.org. Thanks for listening and be well. Thanks for listening to 340B Insight. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at 340bpodcast.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at 340bhealth and submit a question or idea to the show by emailing us at podcast at 340bhealth.org.